This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today, we are hearing from Judd Marcello, Executive Vice President of Global Marketing at Cheetah Digital. Judd has also held marketing positions in companies ranging from Salesforce to Canon. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Judd explains why marketers should focus on observing consumer behavior and responding to it rather than trying to dictate a customer journey. He also talks about how to develop unique, effective customer loyalty programs, his best advice for a first-time head of marketing, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Judd, what's going on? Hello, how are you? Things are good. It's a great day. And we are excited to talk to you about marketing trends as we do. We're going to get into your background. We're going to talk some customer journey, some customer loyalty. But first, how did you get into marketing? Wow. Okay. Uh, great question. I have to go way, way, way back when. I graduated uh, from college back in 94 uh, with a marketing degree. So I, uh, I left school and went out for a marketing job. Funny thing happened on the way to that gig. I ended up uh, getting a sales job because I needed some money. I was broke yeah. at the time. And I figured, okay, what's my fastest path to putting money in my pocket? And it was a sales job. So I did that for a couple of years and then found my way back into, um, back into the building, so to speak, with a marketing job. Man, that was uh, quite a while ago. And it's been, man, it's, it's been a really interesting ride. I, for the first part of my career, roughly about the first 10 years, I did B2C marketing. So I used to manage brands. I did that for companies in the US. Um, long story short, my wife and I started traveling around the world and living in different places about halfway through my career. So, and it was really because of her job. She's really good at what she does. She kept getting promotions. So we kept moving and I kept having to find jobs and, <laughs> and keep making something of myself. So it was quite an experience, but I ended up getting good jobs running big brands. And it was around, let's see, 2007, iPhone came out. I was working for Canon and I was managing a digital video camera line. And I realized, well, the iPhone is going to do what it did, change everything. And nobody's going to want to buy a video camera anymore. So I was like, I got to get something new. I got to figure something out. And while I was doing that job, it was really interesting. Social media became a thing. Obviously, you know, the iPhone, content marketing, inbound marketing, all that started to really become like a marketing channel, all those things together, using those, it became marketing vehicles. And uh, I started working with some agency partners. I really liked what they did. I thought it was interesting work, got excited about marketing technology. And then in 2009, we moved from, we were living in Sydney, Australia at the time. We moved from Sydney to London. And when we moved to London, again, it was my wife's job. So I had to look for a new gig. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to look for at a marketing technology vendor. I think I'm going to do B2B marketing. So it was kind of just a, an interest at, at that point. I made the switch, 
moved into a email marketing company and you know just started doing b2b marketing and at the time i didn't realize how important that was in my career like to make that jump from b2c marketing over to b2b marketing and then sell marketing technology to marketers that was huge for me because i could do that from a a position of empathy because I was a B2C marketer and I just loved it. And I've been doing that since uh, 2009. So that's really how I got into marketing, but more so how I made a transition from B2C to B2B. When you were at Welch's Grape, did you ever think about a promotional opportunity <laughs> of using the Biggie Smalls line about Welch's Grape? Let me tell you something. Welch's is probably one of the most conservative New England-based companies that you could ever encounter. I don't think my marketing career would have lasted long if I brought up a Biggie Smalls uh, <laughs> uh, promotion of any kind or sponsorship. Uh, I don't think that would, have been a, that would have been a smart association, especially, like I said, if I wanted to keep my job. All I'm saying is Big Papa has probably done millions and millions and millions of listens, and that's a lot of brand equity there that was left it, on the table. That's all it's a ton. It's a ton. But you know what they say, all marketing is good marketing, so to speak, or whatever it is. And, and I just don't think at the time that would have, I don't think that would have uh, equated to a winning campaign or a promotion for me. I want to talk about customer journey. You have said about the idea that the customer journey doesn't exist. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, you got it. I, uh, look, I'm a marketer. I love a good provocative byline. And uh, I think that one is provocative. And I actually think it's, uh, I think it's real nowadays. I think there was a point in time where, and let's just do it from a, from a B2C marketer standpoint, they were saying, hey, we need, to, we need to go out and design customer journeys. That way, we'll know where to apply our resources. And we will be able to effectively use a set of channels and we'll be able to measure ROI against them. We'll be able to report back that we were successful in what we did. Now, let's go find some technology that allows us to do that. And for a while, customer journeys became the thing, like the buzzword in marketing technology. And they were established, I think, uh, primarily based on the inabilities of marketing technology at that time. Like, I think it was a good try, like, Customer journeys, you can build those in this marketing platform. The effectiveness of those was really hampered by the limitations of the software of the day. So I think that this idea that marketers can still go out and dictate customer journeys, like say, hey, we're going to create a half a dozen journeys. This is what we think that our consumers or our customers, the path they're going to take to some kind of purchase Let's go build these journeys and we'll build specific content for each of the steps. And we'll know they're going to go to a certain channel because we've decided that this is how they're going to respond or this is what they're going to do. And uh, let's go be effective at that. that. That is gone. That is dead. And instead of dictating customer journeys, marketers really should be thinking about observing customer behavior and doing so in real time. And it's not necessarily saying journeys are gone, journeys are dead. It's just the way that we looked at journeys in the past that I think is antiquated. I mean, I, I would say I would agree with that. I would say that the idea that you're going to, that people are going to follow your strict plan is probably the outdated piece of that. But isn't there, don't you think there's value in like creating a customer journey of like, if this was the ideal path that a certain type of person might go through? I mean, because, you know, we've all seen the stats is like 80% of the buying decision is made before they 
reach a sales call and all that sort of stuff, which again, I think is even that stat is probably pretty ridiculous when it comes to the fact of like, for some people it's zero, you know, I'm sure you've taken the sales call where it's like, I know nothing about blank. Just teach me everything, you know, like there's some people who want to do 99% of the research. So is it more about just planning? Maybe it's 10 or 50 or a hundred customer journeys, or is that too much work? Where do you, where do you feel? Look, I think that you, you could say that, but I think that's a lot of work. And I think it's impossible, maybe unrealistic to expect you know, marketers to, to group thousands or millions of customers into distinct groups, like a handful of distinct groups or paths or journeys. I just, I just don't think that that can happen today, especially because it, it's a customer or call it consumer driven market. Now they have more access to data through more channels, through more mediums, through more apps or whatever it is than ever before. And their ability to, to make a choice now is infinite. They have infinite choice. And it's really up to them what the brand does. And it used to be the other way around. There's a lot of brand power. But marketers, I mean, excuse me, consumers, they have all the control now. So they're dictating what happens on a day-to-day basis. And they're jumping around from channel to medium to content to a store location to whatever it is in unprecedented ways. So, you know, really, I think that what's most important is instead of predicting journeys, and and of course, you know, you can model from a historical basis, you can model how a cohort or a a segment of specific consumers or customers are acting and then do your best to kind of get out in front of them. I think that's valid in a sense, but thinking that you're going to dictate the journey is wrong. Instead, it's observing the behaviors. And observing behaviors and then in real time, being able to observe behaviors in real time, have specific decisioning rules that allow you to respond in real time and then take action. That whole idea of, you know, it's observing, decisioning, next best action, right? Talk about technology. That's what your technology should do for you. And it should be able to respond, so to speak, instead of predict. Yeah, I mean, I think that, as I kind of mentioned, I think there's a lot of value in being empathetic and thinking about what the customer journey is like. But it's a great point that you want to be able to be on the fly at a moment's time, especially when a sales rep's talking to them, be able to give them that piece or that piece of information or content or, or insight that allows them to buy. You know, the other side of that is, to the individual, you do have a customer journey. Like if Ian is buying Judd software, I do have a personal journey that I'm going to go through that includes, you know, signing the dotted line and then the customer success portion of it. So no matter what, you have to believe that each person will have their own customer journey that you need to maximize their, you know, happiness level or excitement or, you know, whatever metric you want to want to track their the way that they view it. But what you're saying is you don't want to be prescriptive and say, this is how we think they should buy. And this is how they should buy. Yeah. If, if you wanted to distill it right down to it, it's, it's not dictate. It is observe, observe in real time and deliver a next best action. And the journey, like, I think that in a way you could say that the journey is, is one step at a time. Now, instead of being a series of steps that lead to a place, it's a one step at a time journey. And by that, I mean, you're observing behaviors. There could be direct behaviors with your brand. It could be indirect behaviors with your brand because a consumer is exhibiting a behavior or responding or taking action in an environment where your brand exists. And you need to be thinking about that individual moment of customer engagement. 
And in that moment of customer engagement, being able to deliver a unique value, to deliver a differentiated or personalized experience is the thing that is going to motivate that consumer or customer to take that next step with you. You have to be so observant in the journey that you can take that next step with them or be in their pocket enough to motivate them to take the next desired steps that you want. And I think that's the difference. You know, the journey is immediate now instead of a map that takes you from one place to another because most often consumers or customers, they don't know where they're going or they're trying to find the best outcome for them. And by the best outcome, what I mean is, you know, if you look at a lot of decisions that are made today by consumers, I don't think they're all broken down by this, but I'm going to use these examples. Uh, they're, they're top of mind for me. People make habitual purchases. I'll give you a, for instance, I, I have all my groceries delivered. I don't have a car. I haven't had a car since 2007, um, but I don't have a car. So I have all my groceries delivered and I use Amazon fresh and I've been using them for a while. And I use them in New York uh, when I lived there recently. And now I live in Chicago. So I use them here. When I made the move, they had all my order history. And uh, it was just really easy for me to pick it up. And, you know, here in Chicago, they don't have all the selection I want. They're out of stocks often. Sometimes the delivery service is wonky, but they have all my past history. I can order my groceries on the subway home at night in five minutes and have them there tomorrow morning, the next morning. And it's really easy. So it's a habitual purchase for me. I'm just doing it. They're switching costs. Sure. If there was a vendor that did it better, I'd move to them. All right. I'm not that loyal to them. And then I think that customers are, or consumers are also very transactional today. Like you can shop from anywhere you want, right? If you're looking for one particular item and you go to a certain vendor to buy it and they don't have it, a lot of consumers will say, okay, I'll just get it wherever I can. You know, the cheapest, the quickest, it's all distribution. Those are all transactional purchases. In a sense, those are transactional loyalty. And I think that if journeys go away and it is about real-time observations and customer engagement, unique brand value, and you're, you're delivering all those things on a regular basis and you're making it a personalized experience where they feel like there's some kind of mutual, a consumer feels like there's mutual benefit and the transaction you're going to create a stronger type of loyalty, right? You're going to create this like emotional connection, this emotional loyalty with a brand or excuse me, with a consumer that's going to keep them coming back to you no matter what. <laughs> and for me, or at least for us, that we preach a lot of that because that's where that like unique value exchange I was talking about comes into play. And you need to understand what a consumer is doing in the moment, be able to deliver that. So what do you think are some common mistakes that you see companies make when it comes to, you know, building those deep customer relationships? And then, and then we'll get into customer loyalty because I want to I get into that. You know, I don't know if it's mistakes, you know, you can call things out. I think a lot of marketing today is trial and error. A lot of companies, I do this with my team, preach testing. Sometimes they joke around and say, look, this is your laboratory. <laughs> think about running some really smart tests here and figure out what works. So I think mistakes are just, you could probably categorize mistakes as people just don't know what they're doing. I guess, you know, I don't want to call it mistakes, but what I will say is it's probably a misuse of data. That is the, the number one fault of marketers when they're not getting an, an effective or efficient outcome. We sell marketing technology at Cheetah Digital. So you know, we do this a lot. I've, like I said, I've been doing this for a while and our products are really powerful products. They have, you know, great features. It's great. There's multiple products that we sell. They're, they're all really good. They do do the job really well. You know, ultimately it's about how uh, marketers use data and understand their data. And they really need a piece of technology that has sophisticated data management, data ingestion capabilities, 
data segmentation and be able to action that. I think the biggest mistake is just not understanding your data. And I think also it's the biggest challenge for marketers. At least that's what we hear. Do you think that, you know, there are some secrets or best practices to driving customer loyalty that you've seen just work really, really well? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's building real unique programs that speak directly to that consumer. Like if you have a subset of customers that love your brand and you know it, then your loyalty program that you build, it can't be stock standard. Everybody has points. Everybody has, you know, everybody has the same off the shelf kind of stuff nowadays. And, you know, it's all watered down because everybody has it. So the programs that you build need to have real, like I said, unique value that you're delivering. And it's an extension of why that person, that customer loves your brand in the first place. I'll give you a great example. We work with a consumer goods brand, footwear brand, really popular, really hot right now. They have a a very strong loyalty program and they don't just think about it as a loyalty program because I think the way they, they look at themselves is they're a loyalty company, right? The connection that people have with their products is deep and they do a good job of accentuating that through their loyalty program. So for instance, shoe company, they did this program for their, all their loyalty customers And um, it was, hey, tell us a story about the very first pair of this brand that you owned. And their program is huge. They had over 50,000 respondents to the program, to the request, to share their very first experience with the very first pair of these shoes. And a lot of the responses that they got were very emotive, you know, very tug in the heartstrings type stories people connected, like they, they bought these shoes 30 years ago and they could still remember that very first experience and they've been buying them ever since. So this, this brand said, well, that was unexpected, but now we have over 50,000 people who are willing to share a personal story. Now we have a cohort of like super fans, right? Real loyalty here. And now we can run certain programs at this cohort to see how far we can push this emotional connection. And what they're, they're doing just that. And what they're finding is the real reward. Certainly there is, you know, ROI and, and more products being bought and all that. But really the, the true value is um, in the advocacy that they're creating from these very emotional, loyal uh, customers. Yeah, it's a great example of how really the best brands figure out a way to get their customers in the spotlight you know, we talk a lot about customer success stories, but, you know, it goes beyond that when the people are fired up to do it, when they're like so happy to see their name in lights and to be promoted in that way. And you're really doing them, you know, a service by, you know, helping tell their story. Do you think that, you know, other types of customer loyalty programs play into this? That's a, that's a really great question. You know, I think in the B2B world, first I'll say this, I'm not the only one to say this, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about that convergence of how brands are going to market or reflection how B2B brands are going to market is a reflection of what a lot of B2C brands are doing and adopting, you know, just some of those, I guess, more personalized, well, in B2C marketing, you know, you you sell products based on the rational benefits, but you try to hook people with an emotional connection. I, I see some of that happening in B2B. You know, I talk a lot about with our team, especially on the brand side, the creative side about saying, hey, let's express ourselves more as a direct to consumer brand because, Not to say that technology brands are lifestyle brands, but technology is uh, a big part of people's lives in in B2C world. So I think that uh, first, just my statement there, you know, these things are converging or B2B is reflecting a lot of, you know, B2C best practices. 
But I think, uh, let me answer that question this way. So we sell a loyalty product. It's called Cheetah Loyalty. And it is a fantastic product. We have multiple customers on it. We just started a client marketing program where our entire client marketing strategy is to build a loyalty program for all of our clients. And we're a B2B company. We're using our own product to build a loyalty program to tell our clients how much we appreciate them and to deliver kind of surprise and delight throughout their day and to inform them with uh, the right kind of content or the right kind of tips or the right kind of product enhancements or whatever it is, we're treating them as loyal customers of ours through a loyalty program. And I think that is, I can just, you know, firsthand example of how this idea of uh, deeper emotional connections with brands is influencing what we do. I I want to go further into that. So for, for creating that loyalty and those type of programs, like what tactically should marketers be thinking about of like how to do that? Well, I, I, I guess if you're pulling any kind of loyalty program together, uh, a lot of that is built on um, creating an affinity between the customer and the brand. You know, there has to be some kind of affinity where a customer, I guess in our world, our client has to say, man, I open up Cheetah Digital's technology platform, right? I open up their marketing suite every day. And it is a big part of my life. I'm in that piece of technology for six hours a day. (laughs) And so, of course, we, through UI and UX, you try to simplify their life and their job and you make it easier for them to deliver what they need to deliver and generate the right kind of outcomes. And along the way, you can build certain kind of things in the platform that, you know, make people feel really good about using it. There's a host of ways you can do it through the product in a sense, but the product is everything. And if there's an affinity with the product, like this makes my job easier, it's making me a hero, it's making me better at my job, I might actually get a promotion because of my use of this product, there's affinity. I would say the other thing that you need to think about is attachment. So in the same way, like somebody's using the product every day, you want to get utility out of your product via your client so they feel attached to it. Like, I cannot do my job without this product. So to the point of when it goes down, we are screwed. Every time my technology goes down, I lose money. Every time I open up my laptop and put in my login details and I turn on this piece of software, I start to make money. (laughs) That is creating real attachment with your product. Like it is essential to the job. Isn't that more like product centric though? I mean, I and I know that, you know, marketing product are blending more than ever these days, but like, aren't, isn't that more of, you know, the engineer side of the house that's building that rather than marketing? Well, yes and no, because I mean, you can go a couple different ways with this. Look, we're a technology company. Product strategy is company strategy. So product is a big deal. I think that flat out answer to that is yes, but also uh, from a product marketing standpoint, a lot of consumer research goes into the product, right? And if you're thinking about make people's jobs easier every day and, and what's going to keep them relying on that tool, creating affinity, creating attachment, a lot of that's done through product marketing. I think from a, let's just call it traditional marketing standpoint, go back to the loyalty program piece. That is about creating a day-to-day, so to speak, connection between the brand and the client or the user. And you can do that through proper email communication, ABM-like tactics where you're delivering like a 3D object to their desk and it may be a branded mug with a Starbucks card in it saying, hey, get a coffee on us. And you know that's, or maybe it's their busy time of the year and it's holiday season and you send them some kind of care package. You can do those kinds of things and providing them thought leadership right? Providing them a content that that helps them. When you think about it, it's brand. It's the sum total of the experience. So on one hand, if the product is nailing that every day, 
and you're coming over the top with some great marketing that makes them feel as though you're not just a vendor, but you actually care about them. Right. And like our, our tagline is dedicated to marketers. All we do is care about marketers and we want to help them succeed in their jobs, but we also want to let them know that like we're marketers too, and we feel it and we're empathetic and we're going to demonstrate that to you. And if you can hit them with the marketing and hit them with the product and make them feel like this is the brand that is looking out for me, that's a win. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you drive data into these types of decision-making? Because you know, we've had, we've had folks on the show that do some really fun, creative things. We've had people who, you know, who are sold to a lot, get creative, you know, gifts or have things happen. You know, one of the ones is, you know, getting the Patagonia in the mail, like a couple hundred bucks, but it really does make a difference because they wear it in the office every day, for example, or, you know, one of our, one of our guests gives out to all their customers, a little succulent uh, that they can sit on their desk because that's fun. And who doesn't want a little plant on their desk, especially ones that are allergy free. But how do you, how do you drive data into making these types of decisions? Because I think so many people, you know, for example, you send the bouquet of flowers, you know, to me and you know, my girlfriend's going to be furious because uh, we both have horrible allergies and we're just going to sneeze a thousand times. Like how do you kind of, you know, develop and, and get some information and, and allow data to make decisions and, and help you make decisions on where to, where to do those things? Look, there's a couple ways to go about that. I think if you want to talk about the physical nature of marketing, like we're just talking about delivering stuff to people, making them feel great, those kinds of things. I'll answer that. I think there's also, you could go to a different direction into and say like, from a prospect perspective, how we're using technology. And I think that's an easier answer, technology and data to drive decisions. But I think on the, in sending things to people and, and that kind of marketing, you know, let's go back to my example. This is actually, this is one of the reasons why we're trying to build a loyalty campaign as our client marketing effort, because a lot of that is based on preferences. It's a lot of that is based on outreach. A lot of that is based on trying to, understand what is important to them. And then we group that in certain cohorts. So we'll treat certain, you could easily say like we treat clients, here's our tier one client. They generate the most revenue for us. Here's our tier two client, the second most revenue for us. But we try to look at who is receptive to what we're doing and who is on an individual level responding in kind and you start to see greater level of engagement. So some of that, we use some of our own technology to figure that out, like the loyalty program. Otherwise, you know, we're tracking things in Google spreadsheets. We're not just sending the stuff out. We're taking account of who is responding and who's receptive and how do we then start to group them in certain cohorts where we could drive this over the top. Yeah. So Let's do the prospect piece then next, because I think it's something that's obviously really valuable to stay front of mind, but it also shows that you're thoughtful and present and dedicated to them. However, if all of that stops after the sale, then uh, it's going to feel a little lame staring at your succulent every day, right? So how do you kind of bridge those two things? So I think that... uh... You know, I'm a, first of all, I'm going to answer that question in a generic sense. I'm going to answer it from our point of view. I think that, um, you know, going back to what I said before about, I think I said this, if not, I've thought it recently. The idea that as a B2C brand, you are trying to acquire customers. And once you get them, you're like, great, but the sale is made, done. You know, retention is, you know, it costs less to retain customers than to get new customers. You look for repeat purchase for people that have affinity with your brand and all of that. It's really about 
companies adopting this idea that it's not loyalty programs that they create. They have to be thinking of themselves as a loyal loyalty company, right? It has to permeate throughout the entire organization. And it's not just on the marketer to deliver. Customer service has to be responding in the same way that marketing is or thinking in the same way marketing is about each and every action being an opportunity to deepen the, that connection, deepen that emotional connection and uh, create even more loyalty, right? And create longer lasting customer relationships. So there's lots of marketing tactics and ways that you can, you know, sustain that kind of attention that you're giving people at the point of acquisition. But I think overall, like everything's a sum total of the brand. So start thinking or championing the idea that everybody in the company is responsible for loyalty and it will be reflected in everybody's actions. And from our perspective, okay, the, the tagline that came up for the company is dedicated to marketers. And a lot of that just, like I said, had to do just my thinking of my own experience and my time as a B2C marketer and time as a B2B marketer, marketing stuff to B2C marketers. And um, in this company, a big part of our value proposition is the fact that we have almost a half of our company are dedicated professional services experts. And they provide services to a lot of the brands we work with a lot of brands use self-service options. Some have white glove service. Some need help with campaign services, creative services, strategic services, execution, all of that. We have teams that are dedicated to specific clients. In-house professional services is a big part of our value proposition. It's one of the things that clearly differentiates us from um, the rest of the marketing clouds uh, in the industry. So when you think about that, these people are here. We pay them to be dedicated to clients and helping them solve their big challenges and achieve big marketing outcomes. We have people like myself who work in the marketing department, has been a marketer for some time. A lot of people that work in our product and IT infrastructure teams, they've been working with marketing technology for years. So, and our leadership here has all worked in the marketing technology industry. So like everybody in this company has either been a marketer or worked with marketers or created marketing technology for the majority of their career. We care about marketers. We're a company that's dedicated to marketers. So when we bring new clients on, it's not about acquisition. We, bringing them on, we bring them to the starting line. And then, you know, we start the, uh, you know, run the race with them, so to speak. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about your role, how you structure your team, mm-hmm. and how you think about, you know, marketing. We talked about it a little bit, but about how, how you think about marketing to marketers at, at Cheetah Digital. So, uh, you know, let me pause for a minute and just tell you a little bit about us before I do that. So Cheetah Digital has been around for about 20 years. Uh, we started out as Cheetah Mail uh, way back in 1999. Uh, we were one of the first email marketing service providers, one of the first ESPs, a uh, pioneer in the industry. And we were extremely successful, known in the market for innovative technology and our professional services. In about, I think it was 2004 or so, um, the company was bought by Experian. And then it sat inside Experian, Experian for 12, 14 years as a function, right? It was a cross-channel marketing technology plus professional services. In 2017, our current CEO, his name is Samir Kazi. He is an industry veteran. He and Peter McCormick, our executive chairman, uh, who is one of the co-founders of ExactTarget, right? Big industry story, bought by Salesforce for $2.6 billion back in 2014, They got together with a PE firm um, and went looking for opportunities in the market. And they saw, you know, old cheetah mail, so to speak, sitting inside Experian. And they work with this private equity firm 
and pulled this company out of Experian and then recast it in the market as Cheetah Digital. So I, Peter and Smear, are uh, ex-colleagues of mine, friends of mine. They pulled me in to run marketing. I'm an investor in the company. And we recast the Experian function as Cheetah Digital in the market June 1st, 2017. So for the past couple of years, we've been rebuilding this company from the inside out and setting a new path from an innovation roadmap standpoint and uh, strengthening relationships with our vast clients. We're a global business. We have over 3,000 clients. We have 1,500 employees around the globe. Um, This is a company of massive scale. What is interesting is, from a marketing standpoint, our brand is new. (laughs) And we recast this company into the market. Everything else existed. The the stability of the company, the foundation of the company, the technology, everything existed. It, It is as it was, in a sense but the brand is new. So we've had a lot of work to do as a marketing organization to um, launch the brand, create brand awareness, sustain a a pipeline for a company that uh, delivers hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to the business each year, really challenging stuff. And personally, I had to rebuild the marketing organization. So we're about 65 people strong. I run marketing and sales development. So the people that do the lead qualification and and the outbound lead generation. And we were about 65 strong. At one point, I was down to 16 people globally. It was significant. We had a significant overhaul of everything, people, processes, uh, technology stack, all of it. Um, it, It's one of those situations where it's very scary. It's daunting. You're like, how am I going to do this? But once you get past it, you're like, thank God I did it because I've rebuilt the program and the team the way I want to. So I have the team built into really two, two functions, two teams more or less. One is the demand generation team, and demand generation team has four regional marketing leaders, um, Japan, APAC, EMEA, and uh, North America, and they have their own regional teams that have field marketing managers and other functions, client marketing, et cetera. That's a big part of demand generation. Sales development sits inside demand generation, so these are the people out there partnering with sales and executing within region marketing programs, et cetera. The other big part of my team, the other half is the brand team. So on the brand team, you know, we have a brand leader, we have content, we have marketing communications, we have creative, and we have digital. So really those two teams uh, work together, brand and digital, to build and execute all of our marketing programs. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You can go to pardot.com podcast or click on the link in the show notes. Learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. Fast and easy questions. Judd, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is most fun? Uh, the Neil Young archives. Uh, Neil Young took his entire collection. I'm a big music fan. He took every bit of recorded music he's ever had uh, and yet to put all of it in there. But he, he built an app. It's all high def streaming and it is a complete Neil Young career experience. It is fascinating. It's a great piece of tech, great piece of marketing, and it's Neil Young. So uh, you can listen all day long. What is your favorite vacation spot? Uh, I've been to a lot of places around the world. (laughs) I'll tell you what, my last favorite vacation spot I went to was Belize. I went to Belize, never been there before, stayed at a really cool resort swam with some sea turtles and some sharks and some manta rays and, and uh, hiked in a rainforest. It was really cool. I think Belize, Belize is a place to go if you've never been. 
what is your favorite ad campaign that you've done? One of your favorites in your career? Oh, that I've done. Okay. Uh, when I worked for Canon in Australia, we, I took over the digital video camera line. We used to sell based on this tagline of advanced simplicity. It was very product focused. And I flipped that on its head. And then I started to sell like, you know, real emotional narratives. So I started to sell, I, I sold, um, instead of selling video cameras, I sold precious memories. Uh, shot a TV commercial in New Zealand. It was a, kind of a wedding scene with a big safe, a vault. And we built an actual vault to film in. And uh, it was a great experience. That's awesome. What about, uh, what was your best uh, learning experience? When I worked at Welch's, I convinced people to let me make a flavor of drink. And um, it was really cool because they have this laboratory where everything is created and, you know, there's real science behind the different types of drinks. And you go, once you establish what you want, they bring you in and you do a flavoring. And so they, you try all these different variations of what you want to create. So my, my massive my masterpiece, my master stroke was a summertime drink that was, that was rooted in Welch's tradition. It was grape lemonade. And I swore this was going to be a hit and it was going to take off. And uh, so everyone was like, this is not going to work. And they started to think I was ridiculous and they should never let me done it, do it. I did it. I put it out and it was an absolute failure. Grape, so nobody wanted grape lemonade? Nobody wants to drink grape lemonade. It's funny. You don't really see grape and lemon together too often. <laughs> this is why it was my worst experience. If anyone, if anyone knows why, if any chefs out there, drop us a line. Tweet yeah. us at the Mission HQ. What about, uh, what about a campaign that you've seen recently that's not one of yours that you're envious of? Uh, I'll talk about one. I think it ran like two years ago. I love it. Like I said, I'm a big music fan. And I thought that uh, Spotify did this campaign, uh, a lot of outdoor and uh, massive billboards, side of buildings kind of thing. And uh, they were promoting their playlist capabilities. And it was really cool. It was, you know, I, I can't remember exactly the uh, copy for all of them, but one was akin to, to the guy who played, you left me at the altar 75,000 times. Uh, we've been there, you know, and it's like, uh, or added 75 different versions of a certain song. It was like, it was just demonstrating the personal nature of playlists in a really humorous way. And then allowing people to go subscribe to the playlist. I thought it was really, it was a really cool way to promote music and uh, because it's so personal. Yeah. We talked to Seth Farman about that in, in our interview with him about creating that. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? Um, a favorite podcast lately is Broken Record. Again, this is music themed stuff. It's uh, a podcast between Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin. And, uh, you know, a writer and a, a producer, both creators. And it's really fascinating when they bring, bring guests on. And they had this recent episode, well, not so recently, but it was a two-parter with Questlove from The Roots. Uh, it was yeah. really, good. really, really good. Um, my favorite book, I don't know. When I was a kid, it was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Let's go with that one. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I think, you know, from my standpoint, from a, from a technology standpoint, I think it's the emphasis on people using data. It's a big part of what we do and a big part of what we sell. And uh, it's a big part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think uh, more creative uses of data from a B2B standpoint, that kind of convergence to presenting yourself as like a direct-to-consumer brand, I think that's pretty cool. What is your best advice for a first-time head of marketing? Uh, don't be afraid to fail. Marketing's 
as, as calculated as people want it to be, sometimes it's a guessing game and you've got to take some risks. I think that, um, you know, my, my internal maxim when I was building this team was, uh, I think big, be bold and, uh, uh, break norms and giving people the latitude to go out and, and, uh, try something that otherwise doesn't make sense just, you know, because um, it, there may be a, a kernel of an idea in here that just might work is really good for young marketers because you can get caught in the trap of, of everything has to have ROI. Not that it doesn't, but you know, it can limit creativity and don't forget to be creative as possible because you know, ultimately that's the differentiator. Now, sometimes that results in people making great lemonade. Sometimes that uh, results in people <laughs> great campaigns. Are you saying great lemonade or grape? Grape. grape. Oh, grape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, which leads to great lemonade. Yeah. Uh, final question. What question do you never get asked that I did not ask you today that you wish you were asked more often? My God. Um, oh, wow. Uh, you know, you could ask me, what's the first record that I ever owned? What is the best record you've ever owned? Well, the first record I ever owned was... Oh, I thought you said the best. The no, first record. The first record I ever owned was The Lion Sleeps Tonight by The Tokens. And uh, it's a 45, and um, I have it framed on my wall. That's sweet. Great song. Yep. One of the best. Chad, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Any, uh, any final things to, uh, to plug or shout out? No, I, first of all, thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Love, talk, love talking about this stuff. Um, and uh, if anyone's interested in any about me or Cheetah Digital, you can come to our website, cheetahdigital.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, 
and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.